As we approach the word now, let's ask the Lord's help. Father, we know that we bring we bring nothing. Knowledge and truth belong to you. And so we ask that as we turn to your word that you would open it to us. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us and set us in the way we ought to walk. In Jesus' name. We just heard Psalm 103 declare the truth. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our wickedness. For he knows our frame, or he knows whereof we are made. He remembers that we are dust. This God is the one who made us. He was there. He was there in the unordered chaos, the void. It was at his word that life came to be. It was his, his own spirit that breathed into that gathered up matter, the dust, and made a man and a woman. And then he was there at the rebellion when that man and that woman turned away from his word toward another source of life that they thought would be life, and they found death. And he has been there as each one of his human creations has turned without fail to things that are dust and set hope on them. And he has been there. He has seen as each one of us, each one, has licked the dust and eaten poison, believing that somehow that would satisfy a spiritual hunger or that it would fill, the inner, inner, fill our inner being and make our lives matter. Somehow this bit of the perishing order would, would finally make our lives matter. We have believed, for example, that we needed the approval of other people in order to be significant. And all of us, even while we have the steadfast love of God, we have it. We have his delighted joy. We have the approval of the Father in heaven. We have believed that to feel okay, we need everyone to recognize us as valuable to affirm our value. So no, he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our wickedness. Instead, the psalm declares, as a father cares for his children, so does the Lord care for those who fear him. As a father cares for his children, so does the Lord care for those who fear him? And that ongoing truth that was there from the beginning, the writer of the Hebrews picks up, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. 
It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. And for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. So the God who made the universe, the God who loved the world so much, he would take on human flesh in order to restore us. This almighty Lord Jesus Christ regards those who receive him as sons and daughters. He regards those who receive him as sons and daughters. And so then as his beloved children, he's training us and shaping us growing us, maturing us, and this we call discipline. And yet, we would like to escape this training. We would like to escape this discipline because it is hard on our minds and emotions. It is hard. It's not just physical training we don't like and try to avoid because it hurts. Much more so, we want to avoid inner pain. We want to avoid it. But God tells us through his word that he will work in spite of evil and he will use pain for our good. So whether the trial was thrust upon us or whether we brought it on ourselves, the Lord will use the pains of our lives. He'll use the difficulties of our lives, the wounds of our feelings to train and strengthen us. To what end? It better be a good end. To be like him. To be like him. The way of suffering is the way God walked when he came among us. He walked through the valley of the shadow of death. He received mocking, scorn, hatred, rejection. He was betrayed. He was abandoned, completely, utterly abandoned. And yet, for the joy that was set before him, he endured even the cross, despising its shame. And on that cross, we know, in that death, he carried every sin and every grief. He bore it in his body and he took it into the depths of death. So yes, he knows the way that we walk. He knows the way of suffering, grief, pain, emotional difficulty, abandonment. He knows the trials, the griefs, pains that come with being dust in the world, in a world that has embraced perishing. But he carries us through it. Carries us through. Jesus passed through ultimate suffering to the joy set before him. to the joy set before him. We want to avoid the whole thing. 
We want to avoid the whole thing, but he wants to be with us as we pass through so that we might obtain the joy set before us. And so even though we know that his way is the way of the cross, that to walk with him means walking the way of the cross, we will look for any other way but that. Just not that. Not that. Not suffering. Brothers and sisters, if God has given you his Holy Spirit, and I can therefore call you brothers and sisters, he's going to discipline you. He's going to treat you as the children that you are. Just as there is no avoiding death, we all are going to be there. We're going to walk it. We're all going to die. A redeemed child of God cannot avoid sanctification. Cannot avoid this work. If you're going to be part of the heavenlies, you must become holy. Without that, no one will see God. And it starts now. It will be accomplished. It starts now. But sadly, and I tragically, Western Christians spend most of our lives trying to avoid just this. Trying to avoid the holiness with which no one will see, without which no one will see God. When trial comes our way, we seek every avenue every form of comfort to avoid the encounter with the Holy Spirit, to avoid the cleansing work, to avoid the face of God and the death of something inside, the death of something, and the turn to one who will not be controlled. Every other avenue that will maintain our sense of control. So, in so many ways, we try then to avoid God. Bottom line, we try to avoid God. And I confess that in pastoral care, I have helped you do that. I have often helped you do that. I have helped give prolonged life to something that the Lord would deal with in you. Something he would remove. So trying to give you comfort. I've sometimes opposed God. I have opposed the work of God in you. And I repent of that. So, if... As a loving father, he is going to heal you. He's going to heal our wounds and he's going to grow us into his image. What can we do? He's going to do it. We've had that promise. What can we do? Yield. Yield to the truth. When the suffering comes, and it comes to every person on this earth, the Lord will be with you. He'll be with you to train you and to shape you through it. He's there. He's available. So in challenge, 
in difficulty, in emotional pain, don't avoid him. Don't look for the other thing. Lean into it. Lean in. He's there. Look to him. And you'll feel the tug. You'll feel, I just want to comfort. I just want to soothe. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want the flood of tears. I don't want to look at the thing. He's there. He's there. The suffering has the profound effect of leading us to another truth. Leading us to the truth of our insufficiency and our spiritual poverty. Fallen nature proclaims we are enough without God. But the pain reveals the lie. We're not enough. Life without God is only dust. Life without God is matter. It's dust. Passing away in the wind. And the world suffers with that sense of things. That this is all we have. The brokenness of the world. The weakness of our flesh reminds us that the world needs to be ordered. It needs the order of God. The world needs a ruler. It needs to be ruled by the good God. And we don't even have it in ourselves just to rule ourselves, much less set anything right outside us. So this truth of our insufficiency leads us to the words of the tax collector that we heard in the gospel. In Luke 18, while the self-righteous man, he stood boldly out in front of the temple, declaring his sufficiency, declaring his mastery of the world as it, as it had come to him, declaring his own goodness. While he stands there, a tax collector, stood in the recesses of the temple, hundreds of feet away, beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, this man went to his house justified. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. We need God. Challenges in life bring us to that truth, which we often ignore. But it's constantly true nonetheless. We need God. You and I both, we have our own artful ways uh, of ignoring God and pretending self-sufficiency, pretending self-reliance. And parents, pass your artful ways of ignoring God to your children. But because he loves us, the Lord Jesus will always lead us back to the truth that we need him. He will use discomfort, difficulty, pain to lead us back that we need him. So, while we should 
We should cooperate with this reality all the time. But Lent is set, a, set aside to help us. This season to, helps us cooperate with the work of God. We need disruption to break the illusion of our self-sufficiency. And sometimes purposeful self-denial can do it. Sometimes it can be enough to break the spell, to awaken our spiritual senses, to remind us, I need God. Because when I'm hungry, I'm a tyrant. When something as small as not getting food, I'm a monster. Something so small. We need him, and it can remind us. So by fasting, by self-denial, maybe setting aside your phone, by discipline of seeking God's face, we enact the truth that we are powerless. And if we ask him, this is purposeful, if we ask him, he may cause that truth to sink in. This too is discipline that will be for our eternal good and our everlasting joy. Lord, may it be, let this truth sink in. Dear people of God, the first Christians observed with great devotion the days of our Lord's passion and resurrection, and it became the custom of the church to prepare for them by a season of penitence and fasting. This season of Lent provided a time in which converts to the faith were prepared for holy baptism. It was also a time when those who, because of notorious sins, had been separated from the body of the faithful, were reconciled by penitence and forgiveness and restored to the fellowship of the church. Thereby, the whole congregation was put in mind of the message of pardon and absolution set forth in the gospel of our Savior and of the need which all Christians continually have to renew their repentance and faith. I invite you, therefore, in the name of the church, to the observance of a holy Lent, by self-examination and repentance, by prayer, fasting, and self-denial, and by reading and meditating on God's holy word, and to make a right beginning of repentance, and as a mark of our mortal nature, let us now kneel or stand or bow our heads before the Lord, our Maker and Redeemer.